1: Welcome to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger. Billy Muzio is not with us this week, but I'm joined by my friend John Daigle of Four for Four, who's actually a repeat First Class Fantasy <laughs> guest. So John has podcasted with me a bunch of times in the past. Now you've been extremely generous with your with your time and coming on all these shows. I've never had you on a press coverage though which I, which I uh, just realized when we were I was showing you my kind of my dope new intro screen for it, John. So I got to get you there in the second half of the year, but you're absolutely crushing it on the content side. Love what you do at 444. You're like a machine. You're pumping out articles. You're pumping out podcasts. Why don't you let everybody know kind of what your schedule looks like this time of year, the shows you're putting out, the articles you're putting out, and
2: welcome to the show, man. Thank you for the kind words. You and I obviously go back a little bit since we are true friends. And this time of year, as everyone knows, there's just a lot going on. Uh, What catches up to you? Like what really you try to avoid? And you get better at it. Like in this industry, the longer you hang around. I've been doing it for 10 plus years, so it gets easier. But you really just try to avoid burnout. And what that comes down to is creating more personal time around the homework. Because like these shows... These don't happen without homework. I think that's what a lot of people forget, that we just don't show up. Like, I have to be up, all of us have to be up so late into the night, so early in the morning, and just cranking away at the spreadsheets, at different target shares, at touch shares, at every stat that we have learned to either put into our process or leave out because we don't think it's pertinent for fantasy success over the years. Um, And that's a first world complaint because I'm working my dream job. Don't worry. I'm doing just fine. But at this time of the year, yeah, there are a lot of things going on around the clock. My schedule for four for four, it's pretty simple. It is uh, the Sunday recap show I do at the most accurate podcast where usually all of it happens with Josh Norris and Hayden Winks of the underdog crew. We all work together at Roto World. So it's always fun to do that show together on Sunday to be ready in your feeds by Monday morning, just in case you did not watch all the games. We're there with fantasy stats and just recapping since we actually assign one another games and we were all in charge of watching those games just to make sure we don't miss anything. Followed by the waiver wire column and show for 4.com and these are the most accurate podcast on Mondays. Not to mention the preview show on Thursday and then DFS show on Friday, all on the four for four YouTube page as well.
1: Let everybody know you've got to have a little bit of a uh, a discount this time of year. Can can you uh, break off a, a John Daigle discount
2: code for four for four? It's pretty simple. It's actually Daigle, and that now gets you up to thirty three percent off the rest of the season. Since we are thirty three percent of the way through, and you would think. That it slows down 33% of the way through. But I dare anyone to just go into their apps right now, scroll up to the first team, first place team in your league, and you'll even see that their team doesn't look that great unless they stack the Dolphins, because that's the way fantasy football is working out this year. That unless you have Puka or the Dolphins, you're catchable, you're beatable, your record can definitely slide back. So uh, we're all still competing. So the waiver wire is more pertinent than ever. Actually, I think this week my column and I know you do the waiver wire column too for Player Profiler. I think my column was the longest it's been all year this week because of all the injury chaos and bye weeks happening.
1: It broke me this week to write it. Yeah. It was like it a was it was more like writing a week 1 waiver wire column because there were so many names out there um that you had to cover and so many situations and John, I'll give you yeah, a big a big shout out because um you know, you, you're you a waiver wire column guy. It's it's a labor of love. I know you've been doing this a lot longer than I have with the, you know, the fantasy football content creation. So you obviously must enjoy the kind of the torture of the quick turnaround, the having to write on a schedule. I mean, it's like you don't want to give it up, even though you kind of do want to give it up. Is that kind of how I'm reading it?
2: I always think I want less but maybe I am a glutton for punishment because like, I'm always going to be a grinder. Uh, I've tried to separate from the grinding mentality. I just do it in much healthier ways now, like set an allotment of hours to grind and then to step away and like walk out for coffee or walk to the neighborhood, or maybe even take my laptop to a brewery and like edit the waiver column over a couple IPAs. Uh, that's the way I grind now. I do it in a much more healthy matter. And as you can see, I still have energy. I still have a smile on my face. So through week six, at least we're still kicking it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, I I'm, I'm like that. Like I started doing it years ago and I'm like, this is a lot of work, but I think it makes you a much faster writer and it makes you pay attention to every single game. So I think it makes me a better player as well. But I actually, I I talked to Ryan Reynolds of, of the 33rd team uh, the other day and he used to do it for establish the run. And now he's gotten away from it I'm like, man, you know, you used to write some good stuff, but I don't think he misses it too much. So shout out to all the people putting out. I think it's Sam Sherman doing it over there now at ETR, but all the people writing waiver wire articles, a big hat tip. It's, it's definitely tough. Um,
2: I also think it helps like you and I play in every kind of league. Like the fact we play in 10 K leagues all the way down to like $10 home leagues, I think certainly helps. It keeps it interesting. Uh, It gives me more problems to solve and more questions to answer both for myself and for everyone. So I can help out everyone no matter what status of league you play in also wearing many hats like uh you know my week consists of dfs player props vets um and obviously start sits in fantasy football and all of that information is the same you just have to parse it differently which is what i love like i have i then have to be in touch with all the information because it all fits in some way i just then have to decide how it fits. And we'll talk about some of those like game situations for this week that trickle down into DFS and football fantasy as well.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And who did you end up with in, in your waiver wires? Because for me, like we're all bidding on a lot of the same guys. I had yep. some Demercado. Um, you know, I've had a couple of these guys stashed. I ended up with actually a good amount of Deonta Foreman. Um, you have boots in the ground of Chicago. What are we hearing with Roshan Johnson? And is he going to play this week?
2: Truly up in the air, a lot closer than I thought, given the 10 days in between kickoffs. And that one's a finicky situation because I just assumed Roshan Johnson. I also do a show with our friend, my one of my best friends in life, Rich Rebar of Sharp Football. And on Wednesday, his perspective that I didn't even think about made me realize that there are two sides of the fence for Roshan Johnson. And so I fall on the side that, yes, Roshan leads the team in targets and carries when they're trailing by eight plus points. He's been their negative game script back, which is why some people played Herbert and DFS against the Broncos the, uh, a couple weeks ago, because they thought they were going to compete or lead against the Broncos, which was true. Herbert exploded. And I just assumed as the negative game script back, Roshon, with Herbert out of the way, since Roshon forced Deontay Foreman to be a healthy scratch in every game since week two, he would be the fallback. He would get every single touch, or at least 70-30 timeshare. But the way Rich was talking about it, and like we started passing it back and forth, is that maybe Foreman is just active for Herbert's role. And so if that's the case, that is still very much a detriment to Roshon Johnson's outlook. So I'm curious how you view it. I'm instead leaning, I still believe in Roshon Johnson, fully if Herbert is out, if Roshan plays. Otherwise, yes, then. If both are out, Deontay Foreman clearly a fringe RB1 based solely on touches and that game environment, given even the total, has dropped six points because as you mentioned, boots on the ground, it's supposed to rain every night through the evening till Monday. And as we know, commanders and Soldier Field, uh, they are going to be the worst fields when it comes to weather.
1: Yeah, for me, it's, you know, Roshan's the guy that we've really been kind of, I think, ahead of a lot of sites on at Player Profiler. We love Roshan Johnson. Uh, You know, this is like the opportunity for him on paper, but I think funny things happen with rookies. A lot of times we look at them and we think that they're going to get this larger opportunity where some coaching staffs might look at them and they'll be like, you know, we're okay with Roshan not giving him too much. We don't want to set him up to fail. Uh, we've got this guy, Deonta Foreman, who, you know, we can say a lot of things about Deonta Foreman, but one thing he's able to do is he's able to, to to handle a high number of carries in a game, went over 900 yards rushing last year, uh, the year before went over 650 uh, rushing yards. So I'm kind of in a, I'm kind of being a little bit neutral here. Roshan, if he was available in my leagues, would have been easily my number one waiver wire ad because I think he's a big back who can catch the ball. But Deonta Foreman, I did end up with a lot of in waivers. I think there's something to be said with having a one-week smash game. Like this time of year, a lot of times when we're playing in leagues like NFFC and FFPC, like those points and that one win does matter to me. Oh, yeah. And then if he just inherits a weekly touches of like 10 touches a week and Roshan handles, let's say, 65% of the work, you still have a little something to get you through like bye week hell. John, we got Beimageden Part Two coming up next week, so we got to start preparing for all the all of that, all that good stuff. But uh, did you end up with any anybody else interesting, like on generally on your teams? Was there a guy that you were ended up with a, a few shares of?
2: Amari De Mercado uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that now. That was the no. Big we can name. go. We
1: can go. We can go for it. Let's go for it. Um, and we, and sure. we can
2: we can go into some deeper guys after that. But I, I do think I have a lot more confidence and. Di Mercado than a lot of people because everyone reacted, overreacted to Keontae Ingram now presumably playing this game, but that was baked into the process the entire time. Um, and the three games Ingram and Di Mercado played together to start the year. Not only did Di Mercado run 14 routes to Ingram seven, but also he outsnapped Ingram 17 to zero on third down. Like Ingram is not a part of the passing game whatsoever. And the Cardinals are not only seven point road dogs this week against the Rams with a miserable defense that's creating the league's lowest pressure rate. So we think Stafford's about to just throw all over them with Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua at full speed, thus putting DeMarcado in the game, especially in PPR leagues like FFPC, but also over their next three games for the next month of the season with James Conner on IR this entire time, uh, the, Ram, the Cardinals are at the lowest point six and a half point dogs. And those are look ahead lines that move to even further like negative game scripts projected if they just get steamrolled this week. So we want the pass catching back for the Cardinals and that is clearly De Mercado. And that doesn't even bake in the fact that Ingram has been terrible. He has yeah. 15 rushing yards on 12 carries this year. So like now imagine if they just saw what De Di Mercado did off the bench in the second half last week and say like he's the better runner too. Why would we actually give the ball back to Ingram on early downs? I'm not even counting that part
1: yeah, it felt like a weird like summertime tweet bomb by Schefter where it's like the, you know, the depth chart people getting after it. But like, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I had Adam Levitan on press coverage yesterday. highly recommended if you guys didn't see it. Uh, it was a good show dropping as a pod today. Um, but Adam had the same take you did that De Di Mercado's the guy. Billy Muzio is also on De Mercado. I think at the end of the day we've just seen enough of Keontae Ingram. De Mercado undrafted free agent gets himself a role, starts producing. I don't see why you go back to Ingram, but you know, we'll find out. I for for Ingram I did add some Ingram uh, because I had a decent amount of De Mercado. Um you know, we cleaned him up, uh, you know, like last week I added a couple cheap ones, but I'll say John, like people were going ham on De Mercado in the, some of the fab bids. I saw a 60% plus in Mm. an NFFC league. So I don't know. It's, uh, it was, it was tough to gauge, but we're going to, we have the, the chat is lit right now. We're going to get to some of these start sit questions that I see in the chat. We're also going to talk about a couple of other, uh, players who have new increased roles, uh, such as KJ Osborne after we hear a word from our sponsors.
0: Hey, we're all starting new fantasy leagues all the time. And more often than not, where do we start our fantasy leagues at Player Profiler? On Sleeper. Because it's the best. You can imagine my excitement when I saw Sleeper rolled out. Sleeper picks, baby. And game stacking is the path to positive returns with these pick'em games. Find that sneaky shootout and set most of the players to go over their projection for that week. Or you find a game gonna get dragged into the mud and take every member of the passing game for less than their projections that week. And if you pick up to eight that's how you 100x your payout on sleeper it's called the hail mary so if you use promo code underworld you get a 100 instant deposit match check out sleepers terms and conditions for details these sleeper picks are live in over 25 states yeah buddy
1: welcome back to first class fantasy i'm theo greminger joined by John Daigle. Our ad was just sleeper. And John, like the sleeper notifications this time of year can sometimes give you like an anxiety attack. And this week has been, you know, definitely that case with all these injuries. We just talked about Arizona and James Conner doesn't even like register um, because we have the losses of Justin Jefferson and Devon A-Chain. Another guy who was available in a lot of these waiver wires was KJ Osborne. Mm-hmm. Not as not as readily available in in some of these deeper leagues, but certainly in a lot of home leagues, uh, he was definitely a, a big ad. And I did see him go for a ton uh, in some FFPC leagues last night. What are your thoughts on Osborne and sort of does he see a bump up or is he to you like a wide receiver three? Like, how are you viewing Osborne? Uh, with his opportunity to fill in for Justin Jefferson.
2: I would imagine Osborne sees a few more targets just by default, given that Jefferson's leaving behind double-digit targets per game. But he's also not the kind of player I want to buy into if I didn't need to. Again, we're all in different situations, which is why the waiver call is always interesting to write, because some people can't afford to hold on to Marvin Mims. They may need KJ Osborne because he has a higher weekly floor, but Osborne hasn't been earning targets even as the team's starting second wide receiver. He's ran more routes in every single game over Jordan Addison until last week when Jefferson was injured. And even then, Osborne is 95th out of 107 wide receivers to see 10-plus targets this year and targets per route run. He just can't earn anything. Whereas here's Addison, who's earned two more targets on 36 fewer routes run. Addison's the one I don't lose any amount of confidence in, if not having even more confidence in now that he, that he is going to be on the field full-time, a la Jefferson's role. So Osborne, you can definitely plug in, but still to me, it's closer to a wide receiver three or four with no bye weeks, probably a wide receiver four that you're just crossing your fingers for. And it's a small sample but I do just wonder if the bottom falls out entirely for Kirk Cousins, given that, you know, only only 12 pass attempts with Jefferson off the field last year. But still, 5.8 yards per attempt, 58% completion rate. Uh, maybe without the best wide receiver in the league, everything is just terrible. It, that also is the way this can play out.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, it's, it's definitely like a, once we kind of know what a guy is, it's hard to, think that he's going to take on some like massive role. And I think that KJ Osborne is a guy that will have some boom weeks. He's probably a better in best ball type. Um, But last year he did have a couple of really, really strong weeks filling in for Adam Thielen. Uh, I just worry about the quality of the offense. Like last year he had those big weeks when Justin Jefferson was on the field. Now you have Jordan Addison, you know, who doesn't command nearly as much attention to say the least. So, we got to, I think they have to take this offense back a notch. And Kirk Cousins, like, are you benching him straight up or is he a guy that you're still going to consider putting in lineups? Like, how concerned are you about this offense taking a big step back?
2: It genuinely just depends on your league. Uh, Whereas, like, maybe he and Brock Purdy were eye to eye or a Sam Howell. Those are players I'm now probably starting over him, especially this week. I have no interest in Kirk Cousins given the offensive environment given the weather we've talked about, how bad it's going to be at Soldier Field, the dipping total, uh, no interest in him playing him this week in what should have otherwise been a good matchup against the Bears. But now I I very much worry about everyone.
1: Yeah, no, it's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, certainly I have him on some super flex rosters, whatever. But yeah. in single quarterback, you know, if you have guys that are close, you're absolutely going with them over Kirk Cousins. Um very very nervous about this. I don't necessarily think we're going to see a trade for Kirk Cousins. I know there's teams kind of creeping around there, but I don't know. He's got a no trade clause. It seems like you know. Does he want to switch teams? We'll we'll see. I know that there's been some rumblings, but I don't really see that. What about you? Do you think that we're going to see Kirk Cousins potentially moved, or is that just kind of wishful thinking?
2: I never say never. Since uh, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, like all these A.J. Brown, all these guys with huge cap hits that everyone said they can't, like they just can't be traded. Obviously not true. There's a way anyone can be traded now. But at this time of the year, I genuinely don't think so. I think we're closer to him getting benched than anything. If they continue don't having wins, like they at least have uh, day three rookie Jaron Hall as like their only backup quarterback maybe they want to see a few reps there because they have to decide like which direction to go in the off season or more importantly, maybe they just start playing to Caleb Williams or Drake may like quietly.
1: Gosh, that would be a uh, going to Jaron Hall would, would be an absolute, like a double double kick to the balls for Justin Jefferson managers, (laughs) which now have to, to endure the IR. And then, you know, potentially all my, don't even put that out there in the universe, John.
2: It sucks if you don't have an IR slot because so bad. Like with Justin Jefferson and Anthony Richardson, both who I, I genuinely doubt come back, especially given like how the Vikings are built, they're not built to win games and sustain in this kind of environment without him. They weren't doing it with him. And so now that the team didn't agree to a long-term extension of the offseason, he has no reason to hurry back. It's very skeptical whenever Schefter like, sends out Justin Jefferson to IR and that his very next tweet is, With Jefferson not having a long-term deal, like maybe he holds out longer than expected. It's like, oh, so someone told you something. That's my initial perception. So I doubt we see him and Richardson again. Richardson more for the injury than anything. But being only week six, if you don't have an IR slot, you also can't drop them. Like maybe you drop Richardson, maybe in like single quarterback leagues, but I'm in a couple super flex and there's not a chance in hell. I'm dropping Deshaun Watson before I drop Richardson.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. It's um it's just tilting. We haven't even talked about the Richardson injury. That one we'll definitely get to, but I have two questions. Uh one in the chat's interesting. My love for this channel runs 18 months months deep. Appreciate that go go jin. I'm here to stay, but can the same be said for Jahan Dotson? Do you want to drop Dotson for Chuba Hubbard? I think I'm making that move, John. Where are you at?
2: Yeah, for these types of questions, I usually just ask myself, would I start this guy or this guy? And Right now, Jahan Dotson's unstartable, even in bye weeks. Washington's target tree has just flattened out so much under Eric Bieniemy. Uh, Terry McLaurin leading their wide receivers with a 16% target share. At times in that game on Thursday night, they had both McLaurin and Dotson off the field in favor of Diami Brown and Jamison Crowder. That's where the commanders are at right now. And so with Logan Thomas being the only one who can earn targets in that offense, Uh, Logan Thomas, who's not here for a long time, but he's always here for a good time. Then I would easily drop Dotson for Chuba. That one's fun because Chuba's like one of those RB2s or uh, contingency players that you never drop, right? Like you have to keep him on your roster, but you can also never play him. What it was going to take with Miles Sanders being the RB36 in points per game and Hubbard being the rb forty-six. And, like, the league's worst offense, one of the league's worst offense, the Patriots have to claim the title for the worst. With Bryce Young, it was always going to take one of them getting out of the way. And all of a sudden, not only is Sanders apparently getting out of the way this week, but he's been the worst player of them. Like, so far, Sanders has forced five missed tackles on 63 carries. Chuba Hubbard has doubled that, 10 forced tackles on half the carries, 35. He's been the significantly better player earning targets too. So even in this kind of blowout game script perceived uh, against the Dolph- uh, against the yeah, against the Dolphins this week, like Hubbard can still very easily get there on every single touch.
1: Yeah, and I have it's very funny because I have I sometimes will flex my like percentages of 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 players in the FFPC dynasty leagues, like yo, bro, look at all my Marvin Mims, and I randomly have more Chuba Hubbard than any other player it's just been the way that it's gone a guy you don't cut but a guy you're never that excited about but hey guys who look at me now i'm gonna have 12 points anytime i want it with chuba hubbard maybe nine points but i'll be able to throw that in my lineup anytime i want John,
2: you talk about the grind like man setting lineups too when you're in so many it's so tough you gotta you gotta do waivers on tuesday then again, for other leagues that run Wednesday waivers on Wednesday, just to make sure you covered all your bases and to see who was like out there. Uh, and then Thursday, you set your lineups and then you set your lineups again on Sunday morning or Saturday night. Sunday morning is usually when it's most helpful. It's like always having to check in. It's like a two hour process just to go through everything.
1: And those secondary waivers too, you're always going through and, and kind of double check. It's, it's But I will say, you kind of appreciate the, like the on the clock lifestyle of being in season, especially, you know, when you have the, the written work and the podcast and then the other stuff, it's like nonstop, but it is the grind and, you know, hat tip to everybody who, who enjoys that. Let's take one more question. Tyler Sperry, Logan Thomas or Evan Ingram, and then Pittman or Gabe Davis. We say throwing three at us. We'll take two out of the three here. Logan Thomas or Evan Ingram. I think it's obviously Evan Ingram. Uh, But Logan Thomas is definitely intriguing. Where are you at on that, John?
2: Oh, I I would actually take Logan Thomas this week. It's a a much better matchup. I mean, dude, since, you know, if you don't count, Logan Thomas has already seen 21% of the team's targets. But if you don't count like the game he was injured in or returning for, he's led the team in targets in both games, weeks one and five. 27% 27% target share and 22% target share. And now it's an even better matchup than last week. Cause the Falcons are allowing the third most points per game to opposing tight ends. Like I love Logan Thomas, like top six, top seven option for me, Evan Ingram. It's close. It's nitpicking. Uh, and these are always the toughest questions because literally it's splitting hairs. Like the only way we ever figure out the difference between fractional points between the tight end seven and tight end eight is like in another universe, a room full of animals typing eventually with infinite time reach that answer because they have infinite time. That's the only way they get there. But to me, it's Logan Thomas, everything to that point, whittled down target tree, at least eight targets in four consecutive games now, and the Colts allowing the eighth most catches to opposing tight ends. Both amazing options, but I prefer Logan Thomas in this matchup. And
1: then Michael Pittman or Gabe Davis. Michael Pittman, we're, we'll touch on this in a moment, but uh, why don't you take take the start sit, And then we'll, let's talk about this new situation in Indy.
2: Also tough, but I do like Michael Pittman in this spot in particular. Uh, Michael Pittman's target share, team high 30.3% mark from Gardner-Minsher this year. Not only that, but where the Jaguars have leaked production is out wide. Third most yards per catch and receiving yards per game to opposing boundary receivers. And that's where Michael Pittman plays as opposed to Josh Downs. So I am higher on Michael Pittman than consistency this week.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very high on... Michael Pittman. And I'm also trying to throw Josh Downs uh, in as many lineups as possible. We have Gardner Minshew. You've got Minshew magic revenge game against Jacksonville. Two teams that are three and two um, going head to head. This is a a really, really fun matchup. But I think that there's going to be consolidation of targets. And you see the Josh Downs bump anytime Gardner Minshew is behind center.
2: Gardner... Uh, Josh Downs target share 16% with Richardson increased to 25% to your point with Gardner Minshew. So absolutely a player that I looked into because I picked up to flex against the Titans, so the Titans leak production to slot receivers the week prior. And then Richardson goes down and that's how we get there is taking like riggerson's league high rushing points per game among quarterbacks into actual dropbacks. Now we're getting more volume for both Downs and Pittman, at least for the next month.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that I'm treating Michael Pittman as a wide receiver too, and I'm treating Josh Downs as a, probably a wide receiver three based on how his, I mean, he's got a 97 yard performance with Minshew and he's got a 12 target, uh, performance with Minshew. So like, we really like what we're seeing with Downs and, Downs showed you a little bit of the explosiveness last week Hmm. uh, at Carol. Like, you know, people like North Carolina, this guy was, was, was a baller. He was a preferred target for Drake May and Sam Howell, a big time producer there. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, excited about my Josh Downs shares. Here's a question in the chat from Permar. Uh, Shout out to Permar. He's always tuning into first class fantasy. Hard one for the second flex, Michael Wilson or uh, or Quentin Johnston, or Jaleel McLaughlin tonight. And if you're listening as a podcast, we're recording before Thursday Night Football. Um, this is an interesting one. Michael Wilson disappointing last week, the week before, had his two-touchdown game. Quentin Johnston on the bye week, you know, maybe that there's some uh, self-scouting and they've tried to get him more involved or you go with the chance that Jaleel McLaughlin has the game flow and the receiving work this evening? Which way are you leaning?
2: This is a tough one. I still think it's too early to play Quentin Johnston. I'd rather just wait and see as opposed to throwing him out there because the floor is so low if he's still not the team's second wide receiver, which I honestly don't expect to be just yet, but we're all like looking out for that and Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and yeah. Zach Charbonnet's post by rookie bumps. So I get the question. I think Michael Wilson has the highest floor. I think personally I would play Jaleel McLaughlin and I'm, I'm just a sucker for McLaughlin. I don't know where Peyton found him, but he's literally Austin Eckler. He is yeah. so good. <laughs> the issue, the issue of course is that Javante Williams will play, but the way McLaughlin has been used, like he could very much be like where she rice, where he still outscores the entire backfield in a three headed timeshare every single week. Um, even before Javante Williams got injured, Against the Dolphins, everyone or against the Bears, everyone looked at that game and saw McLaughlin and P Ryan splitting touches, but it was McLaughlin who was had two touches on the team's opening drive while Javante Williams was still completely healthy. Like they just like using McLaughlin and they're finding ways to work him in weekly. He leads all running backs this year and yards after contact for attempt. Like every time you watch him, all he does is gain five yards. Like he is so explosive. So I pick McLaughlin and what I'm expecting to be. Competitive or negative game script?
1: Yeah, I like McLaughlin. I have him in a few lineups this week. I'm I'm really rooting for that that to be here to stay. He's such a fun player. Shout out, you know, to I'll say Matt Waldman did like a breakdown on Jaleel McLaughlin. I was trying to find like old Jaleel McLaughlin Youngstown State breakdowns. There wasn't a whole lot of people on him, but Matt Waldman he goes deep and he did a Jaleel McLaughlin breakdown. He had only one game against like major competition last year and didn't really produce anything on the ground against Kentucky, but he had a couple of receptions. So I think that that receiving work, McLaughlin's a guy that I don't think is going to disappear. It's just difficult. Denver doesn't have enough playmakers that they're going to say, you know, hey, let's put put McLaughlin aside. I think that he's absolutely here to stay. If you spent the fab on McLaughlin, you should feel pretty good about that one. Let's uh, take one more question. Zay Flowers or James Cook at the Flex? I oh, think this, I'm going Zay fairly easily based on the recent usage. But where are you at on this one?
2: It's very easily Zay. Um, not only 27% of the team's targets in his last three games, but at least for James Cook, we we're getting like a camouflage. Like his usage has actually been bad. He's just still getting there because he's explosive. But the better Latavius Murray plays, like the more touches that continue to be taken away from James Cook. He hasn't handled 61% of the team's backfield touches in four consecutive games now. He's only been over, barely over at 60% and in one of his last four. For reference, he was at 74% in week one. It's become honestly more of a 55, 25, 20 timeshare. And that's like the worst case scenario. And now we have a negative game script where both Latavius Murray and Damian Harris will probably get at least eight carries each. Um, it's worrisome for James Cook, honestly.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely worrisome. And I've heard the the um like you know, a couple arguments that, you know, let's not panic too much. But I don't know, it seemed like it all kind of went downhill after the Washington game. And I wonder if internally they're worried that he just can't handle this this load um i'm very nervous about the second half of the season if i'm in a league with trades i'm considering trading james cook before it kind of falls out from under um how
2: for for zay also uh you know the way you beat the titans is through the air of course and the best part is his depth of target is increased in every game like before he was getting these dinky shallow routes and at least was getting scheme targets and using the red zone. But now like his depth of target has increased in three consecutive games. And so we're talking about seeing 27, 28% of the team's targets with a depth of target over 12 yards. Like that's how you get there. That's how you explode in fantasy. And so like, you're almost ahead of Zay Flowers. Given that he hasn't reached a ceiling just yet. Um, we're ahead of it going into London.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited about Zay Flowers and I'm excited about Zay Flowers long-term um, You know, I think there was a little bit of a, the guy's a little bit of a gadget player. I don't see that. I see him as a guy who's going to have, you know, big time fantasy production for years to come. I-, I love the way he looks. Um, Let's, let's keep this going with th- going back to the waivers a little bit. We had, I, I look at your top 10, uh, you know, after I write mine, and we rarely are in lockstep with the one. We usually have like in our rankings, we're, we're relatively close on a couple of guys, but for whatever reason, I don't always have the same number one as you unless it's like a Jaleel McLaughlin week. But I noticed we both have Jeff Wilson as oh, the yeah. top waiver wire ad this week. How excited are you about Wilson and your thoughts on the Devon, A-Chain, less Miami backfield? Um, and do you have any hope for like the the tertiary guys like the, the Achmeds and the Chris Brooks, or is it really a Mostert-Wilson like we saw last year?
2: It's Mostert-Wilson to me, Uh, if only because we already have the evidence. Even in week one, Ahmed was injured in week two, but in week one, 19 touches for Mostert, three for Ahmed. No one else, Chris Brooks included, was active. Like yeah. they just, it, you were either Raheem Mostert or Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And we say and Jeff Wilson to because we already saw seven games together under Mike McDaniel last year. Jeff Wilson handled 51% of the team's running back carries. And Mostert averaged 10.5 PPR points per game to Wilson's 10.3. Both got there. And I would imagine both get there again, considering it took Devon A. Chan, who the team loved and drafted for this to become a committee. Otherwise it was almost to that point. Chris Brooks only played in week three when it was a 30 point blowout. Otherwise he hasn't touched the ball. Um, Jeff Wilson also, maybe he has a higher floor than perceived since the dolphins are also targeting their running backs at the seventh highest rate in the league. That's something they weren't doing last year. They were only using Tyreek Hill for 32% of the targets and Jalen Waddle for 22% of the targets. So Wilson and Mostert for sure, Uh, and I don't really include. I've sprinkled on dumb running backs before. i sprinkled on Keyshawn Vaughn everywhere this week. I I totally get it, but uh, I just don't see a path for either Brooks or Ahmed.
1: Yeah, so interesting you bring up Keyshawn Vaughn because this is Tampa Bay coming off of a bye host Detroit, and I'm pretty intrigued by this Tampa Bay team. Uh, You know, Mike Evans had a hamstring, uh, somewhat of a hamstring injury, it seems like he's gonna be okay. We haven't heard a whole lot of like any a whole lot of negativity with this injury. Um, the team hasn't, you know, reacted, and it sounds like he's gonna get he's gonna go and be at full strength. Uh, but Baker Mayfield is three and one. They host the Detroit Lions. This is a huge matchup for them. The only loss that Tampa Bay had was to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I kind of like what we're seeing out of Baker Mayfield. Am I crazy here, John? What are your thoughts on Tampa Bay?
2: I'm a little bit worried about Detroit's defense, who has proven comparable. Uh, Like, I know they didn't have Kelsey in week one, but maybe the fact they limited the Chiefs to 20 points, like, that may be one of the more impressive performances of the entire year. Uh, also the Patriots in week two, like actually keeping the Dolphins to a one score game. Also that that's not going to get topped this year. I don't know how that happens still to this day, but I'm worried about the Lions defense. Having said that Baker Mayfield is still leading the league in completion rate under pressure. And we at least know where the ball's going to go. Uh, again, citing rebar. Cause he was the first to point it out. Uh, Chris Godwin, ever Mike Evans left the field in week four, Godwin was targeted on eight of Mayfield, 17 attempts. So he suddenly was getting pounded targets. And Trey Palmer in the second half matched Chris Godwin and routes run over those last two quarters. I know Devin Tompkins got there at 445 and one, but Trey Palmer's the profile that I chased in deeper leagues, like 14 team leagues where I, I may need a flex starter this week if Evan sits, given that he is an above average athlete, had a 32.5% target share in his final year at Nebraska, also ran a 43740 at his size, 98th percentile. So that's the kind of player I chase if Evan sits instead.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, John, because if we say the words Nebraska wide receiver Trey Palmer, people are like, yeah, whatever. But if we say LSU wide receiver Trey yeah, Palmer, yeah, yeah. people get all hyped for that one. So yeah, I've got I got some Trey Palmer as well. Definitely has the contingent upside, but that's a game that I have circled. One game that's very interesting is the Houston Texans. Love to hear your thoughts on C.J. Stroud, but I first want to get your thoughts on Alvin Kamara. New Orleans goes into Houston. Houston's had seven games where they've given up seven uh, RB24 or better performances. They've been absolutely shredded uh, in terms of fantasy points to the running back. And you've got Alvin Kamara, who's had 49 touches in two games, and he did it in completely different ways. The first game back, he has 13 receptions. Uh, and 11 carries the then last game he has 22 carries and three receptions but anyway, way you cut it the whole game plan has been get the ball to Alvin Kamara how bullish should we be on Kamara based on this early usage
2: and I am still curious about Stroud and this particular spot uh, the because... tough defense
1: but you know yeah, tough I mean... defense but you got to like the kid
2: uh, they have they've allowed the third lowest explosive passing rate so passes to go to gain 15 yards the saints have in the entire league and we're going to be missing tank Dell in this game who's in concussion protocol yeah. and luke musgrave so far is the only one to clear it and he played on monday night uh otherwise you just don't come back from concussion protocol the following week so not expecting to have Mus. uh have Tank Dell this week. So that also takes away an explosive player. So I'm worried about Stroud to this point. I mean, but on the season, it's it's exactly what we expected, right? Like even the reason we bought into Nico Collins is because Stroud came in after seeing the league's lowest on target rate of throws 10 yards downfield last year. Stroud came in and he led his class with five first-round wide receivers through his career, but he still led his class and completion rate on throws on target 10 yards downfield. That was the entire reason to buy back into Neoka Collins as an archetype receiver who the Texans don't have. Otherwise it's a run blocking Robert Woods, little tiny explosive have to be scheme targets, tank Dale. And then uh, Noah Brown, who's also a big run blocker. So this week, a little lower on CJ Stroud, given the matchup long-term, still a fringe QB one for me. And then for Camara, what he did was honestly, through three quarters, he outtouched Kendry Miller 24 to seven. So, If it was a competitive game, you could argue he was going to reach 30 touches. Instead, he got put on the back burner for the last 15 minutes, and Kendry Miller out-touched him 10 to 2. So if this is like a, a competitive game, even like 10 points, maybe Kamara, again, does get to 25 to 28 touches. So you have to keep riding it because the carpet was rolled out for him. Like Tony Jones cut, joins the Cardinals, and Jamal Williams on IR, there was never going to be like a, a timeshare with Kendry Miller, like uh, Kendry Miller is a great contingency option, but that's what he is. This is still Kamara's backfield until Jamal returns.
1: Yeah, no, I I think uh, like for me, the the Kendry Miller you treat as a high end handcuff, um, yeah. but if you have Alvin Kamara every week starter, I've heard you know a couple people arguing that he's a sell in trade leagues. I don't necessarily see it that way. I, I just I, you can't you can't deny the usage, and you can't deny. Like There's so many of these backfield by committees where you have a guy like Kamara and they're completely leaning into him. I'm very much into him. Um want to talk a little bit about this Jerry-Judy trade rumor. What are your thoughts on this? Any team that you would see as a natural fit for Judy? And what would be your thoughts on Marvin Mims uh, if this trade were to go down?
2: Well, all we're waiting for is someone to go away, So Marvin Mims. Yes, like we, all, we all know the Marvin Mims ceiling. That's why... I know everyone's frustrated by it. Uh, we we can't even pinpoint when it's going to happen. But if it happens, you have to keep Marvin Mims rostered. I understand some rosters like are just down, injured, riddled with buys as well, and they can't keep them. Totally understand. Otherwise, like as I've even said in my waiver column, uh, I would keep Marvin Mims over Jameson Williams, for instance, for the rest of the season. Because Marvin Mims' ceiling is higher than Jamison Williams this year. He already leads his own team in receiving yards, despite literally being fifth in routes run among their receivers. Uh, so the moment he gets into even three wide sets, it's game over. Marvin Mims wins your league in the fantasy playoffs. I never remove him from my roster. I do not care whether his route participation is the lowest or whatever it is on that team. Uh, so that's the way I view that. What was the question again? Marvin? Oh, the Jerry Judy. Yeah, so, natural
1: fits. It seems like all the teams that make sense for Judy, if we were like doing dream scenarios, would be in the AFC but I don't know. It seems like Denver's kind of funny. They're not going to trade him to he's not going to Kansas City. It seems more like he's going to end up in a New England or Carolina. What are your thoughts? They,
2: they also tried to trade him this offseason and no one bit. That's why they gave him like they pick up his fifth year option because no one wanted to trade for him. So I'm still kind of skeptical. Uh I guess if I had to pick a team, you know, the Chiefs aren't trading for anyone because their entire goal is to fit Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes under contract. Like if they have them in the cap space, those two players are good enough to make everything else work. You don't need anyone else. Clearly look at their receivers. You don't need anyone else at all. Um, So I I genuinely just don't think like anything fun happens. Honestly. Uh, I I don't even know if I have a good answer. I don't even know if Jerry Judy's moved at all, to be honest. Maybe, maybe it's just because they also try to trade Cortland Sutton. And so they bench him instead. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a weird one. I think it's a little bit of a like they're trying to get it out there that they want to move them. You never know this time of year, but it definitely seems like Denver wants to move someone. Um who knows with this team. But we certainly want to get Marvin Mims more involved. So, let's pound the table and let's let's definitely get that trade done. We had your guy Cooper Cup return. This had to be a joyful moment for you, John. Uh, to get Cooper Cup back in your lineup on teams that you've drafted him on. Uh, This is a guy that you were pounding the table for all summer long, catastrophically goes down, but hey, man, comes back, finishes as a wide receiver one, and Puka Nakua also finishes inside the wide receiver one line. Wide receiver 11 and wide receiver 12, 67% combined target share, and they go ahead and trade Van Jefferson like a day later. Your thoughts on this situation uh, with Los Angeles?
2: Everyone asked after week one, what happens if Cooper Cup returns? And like the argument for splurging everything on Puka to begin with was that in week one, he ran 70% of his routes from the boundary. And through week four before Cup returned, led the Rams wide receivers from the boundary. So Cooper Cup returning, as we knew, meant nothing to whether Puka was going to be in the field. That's all I care about. Also, the Rams are leading the league in place per game. And I know people are citing like that's something that's going to regress. But that's regression from last year. That's on us to spot that coming into the season, which we talked about. I was with you and talked about how high I'm on the Rams offense coming into the year, because last year was the first time in Sean McVay's entire tenure. They averaged less than 60 plays per game. That regression happens now with a league high in plays per game. And that was the first time all year, or first time under Sean McVay, they averaged less than a 60% pass play rate from neutral game script. Now they're leading the league in dropbacks per game. Like the regression is happening before us, so you can't say it's going backwards whenever it's coming forward. Thus, we saw Cooper Cup thirty five percent target share, Puka thirty two percent, Tutu Atwell still out there because he runs so many motion plays. He they have to keep him out there. Van Jefferson obviously eliminated from the offense entirely, and Tyler Higby still out there. But you can't earn targets whenever you're playing around a motion guy who targets your scheme to, and Puka and. Cooper, the gods. So that's the way this offense works. Now they get a Cardinals defense that is not only creating the lowest pressure rate in the league, but is one of only four defenses allowing over 10 yards per catch to opposing slot receivers. Like it's a, it's a nuclear week for Cooper and Stafford. So let's talk about
1: Stafford a little bit, because I think Stafford's the one that's going under the radar a little bit like Kyron Williams. We get, we get these like trade questions for, for Kyron Williams. We get like last week, there was a couple of start sick questions for Kyron Williams. Like, Kyron Williams to me is here to stay based on there's no competition behind him. He's performed well on the field. I think you call him, is it fair to call him a top 15 running back for the rest of the season, John?
2: Oh, yeah, because no yeah. one's coming for his job. I mean, since week two, whenever they healthy scratched and traded Cam Akers. Kyron has handled 90% of their team's backfield touches. Even last week, 15 of 16 touches, and he leads all running backs in route participation. Uh, His his target share has dipped the past couple of games, including a season-low mark this past week because Cooper came back, and now these other guys are earning targets. But he's still out there handling everything. Zach Evans was active, and he played one special team snap. Nothing else. No one's coming for Kyron's job. We had one question. and How about
1: Matt Stafford? Like I know he's got the smash week this week. But you've got to feel good about him. I mean, I feel like he could have what we saw from Kirk Cousins to start the year. That could be what we're going to see from Matt Stafford for a good portion of the second half
2: of the season. That and if you look at their schedule coming up uh, beyond this game against the Steelers and the Steelers are, are so bad in the secondary. Like the stats don't show it since the Ravens dropped four touchdowns, but the Steelers Iota has been allowing explosive passing plays. The Rams should have no issues moving the ball against them. The Cowboys, who are masking how good their defense is because the two times they've played even league average offenses, the Cardinals and the 49ers dunked on them, made the defense not even look relevant whatsoever. So I, I don't see the Rams having any issues with Dallas either. The Packers, the Seahawks, and then the Cardinals again. Uh, it all paves the way for the Rams to sneak in as a wild card team, and we'll see what their draw is, honestly.
1: Yeah, no. It's, I think they're. I think they're going to make it. I think they're a playoff team, and I think that the vibes are very strong right there. Oh yeah. Um. They I know don't, they
2: lost. Uh, uh, McFay, Stafford, Aaron Donald, Les Sneed, Cooper Cup. They all don't come back together unless they had something planned. Uh, they they all didn't want to end their because they're going to walk away together. Like they're all not leaving each other out to dry. Um. But they came back because they didn't want that bad of taste in their mouth from last year. And so, like, they don't return unless they have something cooking. And this is what's cooking right now, one of the more fun offenses in of the entire league. It just depends on Stafford staying healthy. But so far, so good.
1: We had an interesting question in the chat. We just talked about Kyron Williams. Derrick Henry or Kyron Williams? And I want to get your thoughts on Derek Henry because last week we saw Henry only out-touch Tyje Spears 16-11. to There's been several games this year where Spears has outsnapped Henry and there's always the pushback that, you know, it's the game flow. But there's been in previous years, Tennessee will try to impose their will on people a lot longer, and they're more willing to run the ball when they're down. This year, they're kind of turning to the to the rookie. Do you have concerns about Derrick Henry? And then we can take that trade question. We'll start out, would you rather have Kyron Williams or Derrick Henry?
2: I would rather have Kyron Williams because – both players have been inefficient, so you can't even make that argument. And Kyron at least has no competition and a significantly better offense. For Derrick Henry, you can't even argue game script. Like, if they're winning, they lean on Henry, and then you're hoping for 100 yards or a touchdown. So you're really already hoping with Derrick Henry. But you can't argue game script when Tajay has at least eight touches in four consecutive games. Over their last three, we've seen Derrick Henry's share of the team's backfield touches decrease to 64% compared to 77% in his first two games. And that's because Tajay Spears has earned 36% of the team's touches in back-to-back games. He's been a PPR, at least RB2, in his last two weeks as well. Uh, you Like, even on 8 to 12 touches per game, you still start Tajay over Damian Pierce, Najee Harris, Alexander Madison, those kind of guys weekly because his usage is just like, when he touches the ball, it's just so much more explosive than those other guys. So uh, I think Tajay Spears, like, Maybe he's not coming for Derrick Henry entirely, but there is still the out of Tajay Spears getting there as a PPR flex option and Derrick Henry getting injured or traded. That's why Tajay is like an elite contingency plan.
1: Yeah, Tajay is like, it's not Jalen Warren, Najee Harris. Like Derrick Derek Henry is not cooked by any means, but I do think this could be the next back that can catch the ball, a dynamic younger back where fantasy football managers start kind of pounding the table saying, get my guy Taije more work. Because to me, Tajay just looks very explosive. He catches the ball naturally. We saw last week he had five targets. He's consistently had four targets a game. Um, so I'm I'm really into Tajay. He's a guy that I view as maybe the best handcuff in football right now. Because like you said, he's developing into a potential where you could flex them and gosh, if they traded Derrick Henry, it would be like Tajay Spears to the moon and a blackjack split for the teams that cuffed uh Derrick Henry. You could end up with you know two fantasy starters out of that. So yeah, let's uh let's keep this Tajay Spears thing going. Um one one like trend we had last week was the tight ends all smashed. George Kittle, yeah. Dallas Goddard, Darren Waller all showed up and had really, really good games last week. Uh, not to mention Travis Kelsey having a fantastic game and Sam Laporta, the fantasy god, scoring two touchdowns. Where are you at on this This group of, oh, and Ky- we have to mention Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts finally gets uh, a game that's was terrific. He had 11 targets. Um, that was almost a more frustrating than happy because you're like, why didn't you do this a couple times earlier in the year? But of this group of tight ends, that kind of did very well last week. Uh, Which of the guys are you kind of more confident in kind of maintaining this sort of role? Do you think Dallas Goddard's here? Do you think Waller, Kittle? Your thoughts?
2: Goddard, at least, was second in route participation. One of only two tight ends running around on 85% of dropbacks headed into that Rams game. Like, he was a common run back from either Puka or Cooper Cup in DFS last week just because he was at getting the usage. So the fact he was getting the usage and it didn't matter the first four games probably tells me it still doesn't matter. Like there's no way to pinpoint it. You still just keep running him out there because that's the way tight end plays. Uh, Kyle Pitts, I also don't necessarily have faith in considering The target share and route participation didn't matter before, and it did this game. Jonu Smith actually ran one more route, and Jonu Smith has been much more consistent than Pitts. Still has, over the last month of the season, more fantasy points, even though he had one fewer catch than Pitts this past game. Um, So you you can still keep starting Pitts if you like, but I just think it's for these guys, for most of these guys, it's just going to be weekly frustrations where genuinely you can't pinpoint it at all. You just have to suck it up and take whatever you get. I would think... Most consistent, honestly, none of them. But none of them. uh, I mean, that's the answer, honestly. It's none of them. Like Sam Laporta, who was a DNP today, by the way. uh, I know he's like the only bearing light for the tight end position. I have faith in Kelsey, who's like putting up career lows across the board in his peripherals, but he's still Travis Kelsey. He got even got injured his knee, came back on Sunday against the Vikings, scored a touchdown, didn't matter at all. Uh, Mark Andrews. Sam Laporta. Other than that, like everyone else just has name value. Like T.J. Hawkins is getting volume, but it's exactly what we was Like T.J. Hawkinson has to score touchdowns in order for, order for him to return that volume because his depth of target is so low. He doesn't run any deep routes. If he's not pounded targets, you're just not going to ever reach that ceiling. That makes his ADP worth it. So no, honestly, to me, like the three mainstays are Kelsey, Andrews, and Sam Laporta. And that's it. Everyone else is like, kind of exp- not expendable, but you just suck it up and take it.
1: And a shout out to Andrew Cooper of Fantasy Alarm. He came on press coverage last week. We dove into a lot of these tight ends. Uh, it's it's an evergreen show. If anybody wants to go back and listen to it, here is a weird question in the chat: Jonathan Taylor or Javante Williams? And you've talked about Jaleel McLaughlin, but Jonathan Taylor, you know, came back last week, saw minimal production and Zach Moss went off. How are you feeling about Taylor? Was this a one-week thing? What's your confidence level for him this week against Jacksonville?
2: Not high. I don't know how much his usage increases because you can't take Zach Moss off the field. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, but Zach Moss is too good to go to the bench, even though you gave Jonathan Taylor $42 million. It's actually the best-case scenario because – Player got paid, which is what I'm always cheering for. So don't, I don't cheer for teams. I do not care. Um, and Zach Moss shoved it back in Jim Mersey's face by being the better player. And Zach Moss is a free agent at the end of the year. So Zach Moss will get paid if he keeps playing like this too. Everyone wins. It's great. Uh, but for Zach Moss, only Bijan Robinson has more 10-yard carries. Like, no one else has been as explosive as Zach Moss. The... No running back had passed sixty-seven rushing yards against the Titans. Zach Moss put up one sixty-five and seven yards per carry. You cannot take him off the field because he's too good. So I think Jonathan Taylor eventually like handles sixty forty timeshare. Let's say, but Moss like Zeke with her mandri, um Moss absolutely caps Jonathan Taylor's ceiling. What we perceived to be before,
1: yeah, like. I'm with you. And Zach Moss, people were so quick to put on the bench last week. I know I had a frustrating team where I put him on the bench last week. No more. I I think think I would
2: have last week, too. Like, that comes down to process. I don't mind that at all.
1: Yeah, but I think at the end of the day, John, it's like, you know, you have a guy playing this well, you lose Anthony Richardson, they're going to lean on these running backs. I think that Moss is a guy that if you have Moss, he's your flex. Jonathan Taylor, he's your RB, two. And eventually, our Jonathan Taylor is going to move into Jonathan Taylor territory, where he's a uh, locked-in RB one. But you know, I, being away from the team is is difficult. So I don't. And know I guess to
2: answer that question. Maybe it is still Jonathan Taylor, assuming we get ten to twelve touches this week. Yeah. I, I just do not know what to expect for Javante. And Javante wasn't good when he was playing. That's the thing, because you know, also back into the process is the long-term recovery it takes from returning from a torn ACL and MCL, his knee injury much more gruesome to recover from than Brees Hall's. This was always the thought. Even if like he was playing, it didn't matter. He was going to be inefficient and he was terrible when he was playing. So I think I still play Jonathan Taylor, honestly.
1: Yeah, I'm going to play Taylor every single week. I don't want to miss that breakout game. In for a dime, in for a dollar. I started him last week when he had six touches. I'm not going to miss the two touchdown game this week, John. I'm just not doing it. And wanted to uh, touch base on another running back that had a fantastic performance last week. Travis Etienne has the best game of his career. Jacksonville wins a huge game in London. Really turned around their season with these two back-to-back wins in London. They take care of business against Atlanta, and then they have this fantastic performance as a -a five-and-a-half-point dog against Buffalo, and they really leaned on Etienne. He's now on pace to go over 60 receptions on the season. How bullish are you on ETN moving forward?
2: I mean, how can you not be top five range of outcomes? Such a big miss. That's my biggest miss of the year was uh, not not accepting or lumping Travis ETN into the Alexander Madison, Najee Harris, Damian Pierce, like guys we clearly shouldn't draft list. Um, None of those other guys matter. Travis ETN actually matters because like even for those other guys, let's say like, they finish as like RB 14 and, or let's say they finish as like RB, yeah, RB 14, you draft them as like RB 15 or 16. Like that lump doesn't matter. Drafting an RB 23 who finishes an RB 13 even doesn't matter. It matters about getting ETN the third or fourth round and he becomes a top three running back. That's how you win fantasy. That's how you draft. And everything's going right. Not only top three in touches per game, not only fifth in route participation among all running backs, but the one bugaboo he had, and not getting goal line touches, over the last two games for Jacksonville, they've had four running backs active, Dearness Johnson and Jamichael Hasty included, and ETN has handled all three of their running back touches inside of the 10-yard line. He is now getting literally everything. So I don't know how you can't perceive him, perceive him like as a top three or four option the rest of the season. He's probably going to outscore Tony Pollard, and I never, I mean, I would have gave that a 90-10, 80-20 odds before the year.
1: Pollard just doesn't look great. I know a lot of it's been. Oh, been dude, off. it's the offense. Like,
2: yeah. don't even get me started. That yeah. that McCarthy offense is everything we expected. So the red zone woes we did expect. That was baked into my process of being underweight on Ceedee Lamb and the and Dak Prescott and the Cowboys' offense altogether. Um, last year, for example, like they were one of only seventeen teams in the last decade to score on over eighty percent of their red zone red zone possessions. It's not a number that happens ever. And then those other teams before them, the other 15 that did so, prior to that, averaged a decrease of 16% the following year, which would make Dallas a league average offense. So again, when you talk about what we do during the offseason, that's the homework. Because like, I can't draft players. I know everyone just strictly talks about players. I can't draft players until I understand their offensive situations and why things happen the way they did. That's that's what we do. And so the Cowboys, I expected to be significantly worse in the red zone. And we always had that wild card with Mike McCarthy's play calling. And that's what's happening now. Dak Prescott is, he has the sixth lowest average depth of target in the league. They turned him to a game manager. He's getting rid of the ball at the 13th quickest time from snap to throw. They're not even letting things develop downfield because they're terrified of giving this, you know, multi-million dollar quarterback they give the long-term extension to. They're terrified of putting the ball in his hands. And so the offense thus is completely useless. Hayden Winks had some stats earlier this week too about like yards before contact and after contact, how they're developed, which makes sense considering like Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, they're putting guys in motion because those guys can gain more speed if they're already running. Like when Debo gets a full head of steam, good luck stopping him. Same for Tyree Kill. Full head of steam behind the backfield. He motions out to wide receiver. Now he's already running when it has the cornerback who's trying to keep up with Tyreek Freakin' Hill is at a standstill turning his body. You're not going to cover it. Uh, whereas the Cowboys now, basically using Tony Pollard strictly under center. And Tony Pollard, is, who's been one of the most explosive backs in the entire league for his career, is 53rd in yards after contact for attempt. There is no creativity. There is no progress in this offense whatsoever, which is why I worry about them long term.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Now, John, we've we've hit an hour. You've been extremely generous with your time. Guys, uh, in the chat, uh, apologies for not getting to every single question. The chat is definitely lit. Hit the like button, guys. I'm going to try to get a lot more of these start sick question answers uh, every single Thursday here at First Class Fantasy, uh, but definitely smash the like button. John, you've been awesome. Before we get you out of here, give us a couple players that you think are going to absolutely smash this week. I'll get us started, I'm on Alvin Kamara. I have him as a top five running back play this week against Houston. I talked about the 49 touches. Houston's been generous to their RB position. I think Kamara is going to come out and put up a 25-pointer. I would try to get him in all my DFS lineups. I would try to get him, you know, you're starting him every week, but you feel really good if you have him in your lineup. And I'm also kicking the tires on him as a trade target in my leagues where I am able to make trades. How about you, John? Any players you're looking to have a real smash week this week?
2: I've already talked about uh, Kyron and Cooper cup, which I know everyone's high on, but I guess Cooper two cup other- smash
1: week every week, every week, John. Every <laughs> yeah. Week. So that's, not, that's
2: not fair. I don't, I don't like when people cop out like that. So I'll give, I'll give two other off the radar answers. Um, one is Drake London. I'm very high on this week. The commanders have allowed the third highest rate of passing touchdowns so far this year, and wide receiver ones against the commanders. Uh, I think in part because they their first-round cornerback, Emmanuel Forbes, is 166 pounds, and they've been shadowing him against receivers. And so far, wide receiver ones against the commanders. Marvin Mims, 113 in a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, eight catches for 111 yards. A.J. Brown, 175 in two touchdowns. And then Forbes got benched in the first half on Thursday night because – DJ Moore had already put up 102 touchdowns on him of the 230 and three he finished with. So I'm back on Drake London. Drake London has also been much more consistent than Kyle Pitts in terms of earning targets over 20% of the team's targets in three of his last four games, whereas Pitt is just two of four. So love London. And then I think Brock Purdy and Brandon Ayuk are much better plays this week than people are giving them credit for Uh, the Browns have looked like the best defense in the league or did against injured Joe Burrow in week one who could only escape for 82 passing yards. Kenny Pickett and Ryan Tannehill, the one competent quarterback they faced, Lamar Jackson, pasted them for 9.7 yards per attempt and 28 fantasy points. Uh, now they have a couple injuries on their defense as well. So playing the eighth highest rate of man coverage, Brandon Ayuk, 11th in yards for route run against man coverage. I have all the confidence in the world weather permitting, for Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk stacks.
1: I love that one, and Cleveland's been the stingiest defense uh, in the league against opposing wide receivers, but you got to look into the context, and John just context gave it to always. you. And Brandon Ayuk is an absolute baller right now, and Brock Purdy has four QB1 games on the season tied for the league in the lead. Uh, so, that's uh got to love that Ayuk-Purdy stack. It looks really, really good. Um, I'm going to ride that one out, John. What game are you most excited about this week?
2: It's the Cardinals-Rams, honestly. It may not even be competitive, but I think it goes way over its total. If only because the Cardinals' offense wasn't the problem last week. Like, I know Josh Downs only completed 46% of his passes, but even playing that bad, the worst game of his career and the season, that was a four-point game. Cardinals only trailed 24 to 20 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. What happened then was Joe Burrow or Jamar Chase, really, then broke loose. But other than that, the Cardinals hung around. So given that we kind of know where the ball goes, we we assume or I'm assuming Di Mercado over Keontae Ingram, unlike public consumption and Marquise Brown, who has now seen 31% of the team's targets over the last month of the season. I think it could be a, a pretty sneaky shootout here.
1: Yeah, and for me, I, I talked about that Tampa Bay-Detroit game. I'm I'm super excited about that one. I think Seattle-Cincinnati is very interesting because we saw Joe Burrow looking like he's back. Now he's got to face a defense that can put a ton of pressure on him. I'm, and...
2: I'm leaving the litmus test open. Like, Joe Burrow did look great. Uh, even th- I point to that third down in the first quarter, third and goal where he took a big sack but he was so mobile and moving around. My only issue is that we've already talked about like everything the Cardinals defense does wrong, how soft of coverage they play. And Joe Burrow even was only under pressure on five dropbacks, but he averaged 1.6 yards per attempt on those dropbacks. Whereas from a clean pocket against the Cardinals, he went 33 of 41 for 309 yards. And the Seahawks defense recency bias since they're coming off 11 sacks, but also they're getting Tariq Woolen, Devin Witherspoon and Jamal Adams back. So I'm not ready to buy in Joe Burrow being like Joe Burrow is going to be fine, but I'm not ready to say like every week is ceiling week for the Bengals until I see it against like this defense instead.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're going to learn a lot this week. Won't we John with that, with that Joe Burrow against that, that front seven and that secondary at uh, Seattle. Uh, I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on him. That's a really tilting game. Cincinnati has a chance to go to 500, but the game that I think that I'm, that I've circled on my calendar is definitely the Kellen Moore bowl. Uh, you've got Kellen Moore going against his old team. You got the three and two Dallas Cowboys against a two and two Chargers team coming off of a bye. I think the wheels could fall off for this Dallas offense if if they don't get the win here. Your thoughts on this game?
2: I think I pretty much already said my thoughts how I'm worried about this offense. It is a great spot uh on paper given that it's going to be a home game in Los Angeles the Cowboys have training camp in Oxnard, California every single year. Beautiful spot. Amazing fish tacos. Uh but given the inefficiencies we discussed between Dak, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb like wearing his hate for being on this team on his jersey. You see it every single week. Um I am worried, given how they've created Dak to be a game manager, and are taking all the explosiveness out of this offense. Even Brandon Cooks, everyone's saying like buy low, or just just pick him up though the waiver wire. He's the wide receiver 100 in points per game. Why would you buy low? Just like wait till he's dropped because he's going to get dropped. So I worry about the Cowboys' offense honestly.
1: Yeah, big time, John. Super generous with your time. Let everybody know where they can find you, and once again, give them that code so they can subscribe to your work at four for four.
2: There's already a, a 25% discount, but then you can tack on even more and make it up to 50% off with the promo code Dagle. So that's how you get in at 44.com. I'm usually active in the Discord for both start sets, lots of DFS conversation throughout the week, the betting Discord, like that's where I get some of my player prop ideas. Um, everything's happening. So yes, you can use that promo code Dagle to get even more off for the rest of the season. And the all-in package at Player
1: Profiler has been lowered to $85. You get $10 off with the code Theo. And I promise you guys, if you have player profiler and four for four, you're not going to need anything else. This- we got you completely covered. John, have a great week. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. This was a lot of fun today. Check out my episode of Press Coverage with Adam Levitan from yesterday. Uh, that's going to drop as a podcast, but you can find it right here on YouTube. And everyone, we hope you crush it this week. Get ready for week seven with that buy mageddon on the way. And let's get a couple of W's this week, guys.
0: Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you the people that get the site and get the show.